I remember the time... Come in. Good evening, folks. My name's Beulah. Huh? Yes, and I wonder, could you drag me to the residence where Mr. and Mrs. Toops live in? I'm a foreigner in this neighborhood. Oh, well, certainly. Uh, the Toopses live in the third house down on this side of the street. Are you their new cook? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> if they have good references, I'm here. You see the third house down? Yeah, that's it, Beulah. You'll see a sign sticking up out of the snow that says, Keep off the grass. That's the place. Thank you. If you ever have dinner with the Toopses, maybe I can return the favor. How? If I shake my head, don't eat it. <laughs> you haven't worked in this neighborhood before, eh? No, sir, no, sir. I be working cross town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only reason I left is they treated me just like one of the family. <laughs> and I stood there as long as I could. <laughs> well, now, if you go to work at Mr. Toops's, we'll probably be seeing you, Beulah. Yeah, we see quite a bit of them. And their neighbor, Dr. Gamble. Dr. Gamble? Uh-huh. Oh, does he reside in this neighborhood? Mm-hmm. Oh, he's a fine man, Dr. Gamble. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh, he, he operated on my third husband for Gladstone. <laughs> hey, everyone, this is OTR Rob, welcoming you to another edition of Bibber McGee and Molly. This episode is from January 25th, 1944. And as you just heard, that's Beulah, a black cook who is looking for her new employer's address. Beulah was played not by a woman, but a man. And not a black man, but a white man. His name was Marlon Hurt. And Marlon Hurt had done this character before. Originally in 1940 in the series The Showboat, and later the character of Beulah went over to, in 1943 to a series called Bat's Life before moving over to Vivian McGee Molly. And for Red Skelton fans, Red Skelton's first show from 1939 through 1941, Marlon Hurt was on that show playing a Jewish woman. And then this would be the second person in the Fibber McGee and Molly series to get their own show. Marlon Hurt would move over in 1946 to play Beulah. Unfortunately, before the end of the run of that first season of Beulah, Marlon Hurt passed away. He had a massive stroke and he died and he was only 42 years of age. And they had replaced him with another man to finish out the series and the role was given to Academy Award winner Hattie McDaniel and she was the first black actress to play a lead in a radio show. That's really historic. And Hattie McDaniel, who would play it until 1952. So enjoy this episode of Fibber McGee and Molly, and we'll see you. We'll be back here with another show right after this one. <laughs> the Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax for home and industry present Fibber McGee and Molly, written by Don Quinn, with music by the King's Men and Billy Mills Orchestra.
I'm sure that our listeners in the far south, where snow is an infrequent luxury, will pardon me for a moment while I read you part of a letter that a railway man from Nebraska just sent in. It tells about one very special winter use for Johnson's Wax, and I believe it'll be helpful information for a great many of you. In the wintertime, he writes, I always apply Johnson's Wax to my snow shovel when I shovel snow off my sidewalks. This prevents the snow from sticking to the shovel, and certainly is a big help, especially when the snow is heavy and wet. You may want to tell Fibber and Molly's many admirers about it. Well, as a matter of fact, we do, and now we have. The next time any of you have snow to shovel off your walk, try a little Johnson's Wax on the shovel. It really works. This is just one of over 100 extra labor-saving uses for Johnson's Wax, besides its main use for protecting your floors, furniture, and woodwork. If you've been trying to get 79 Wistful Vista on the phone for the last half hour without success, it's because the squire has been using it to promote a party. He's still trying as we meet Fibber McGee and Molly. Hello? Wilcox resident? Is that you, Junior? Miss Fibber McGee speaking. McGee. Yeah. Look, can you and Mrs. W. come over tonight? Molly and I are throwing a wingding. Yeah. Yeah, we're celebrating. Huh? We're celebrating. Oh, didn't you know? Our laundry came back today. (laughs) Huh? Oh. Okay, Junior. Some other time. Why? Can't make it, huh? No. Looks like everybody we called up is busy tonight. We can't celebrate. And me with six clean shirts. (laughs) Oh, there must be something we could do. Go out and ring doorbells or break windows, maybe? Yeah, we gotta do something. This is an occasion. I wonder if that laundry gave us special treatment or something. My gosh, they only had it since October. Well, they always liked you anyway, dearie. They did? How'd you know? Oh, they're always keeping some little souvenir, like a button off a shirt or the toe out of a sock. (laughs) Well, anyway, this is a great day. Ah, let me sit down and hold those shirts on my lap a while. (laughs) Ah, don't they look beautiful? Heavenly days, you know, if they continue to give us this kind of service, why, you can send your shirts out three or four times a year. We don't... (laughs) What's the matter, McGee? Oh, I don't know. I'm just restless. Here we are, the luckiest people in town, taking the fact that our laundry is back like it was an everyday occurrence. My gosh, we ought to be out painting the town red. Well, hand me a brush, dearie. You mean? Well, why not? Come on, let's go. I'll take you out to dinner. Then we'll go to some nightclub and we'll dance till the place closes up. What do you say? Okay, where'll we go? You leave that to me, Angel Puss. I'll find a joint. You creep into your minx while I change into my heavy watch chain. Are we going formal, McGee? Nah, nobody goes formal these days. You wear your black dress with the polite pearls. Cultured pearls. Same thing. Hey, how's my blue serge? Too shiny? Well, it was. In fact, the tailor told me he had to wear smoked glasses while he pressed the pants. <laughs> but I brushed it with a wire brush, and it's all right. Oh, fine. See, where'd you say we were going? Well, there's the Empire Room at Charlie's Chili Bowl. Oh, no. The dance floor's too crowded there. Oh. The waiters have to take your food around the block and in the back door. <laughs> well, how about the General Eisenhower Allied Victory Club? I never heard of it. Well, they changed the name. Used to be the old Heidelberg Student Prince Beer Garden. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Sweet music and sauerkraut. <laughs> I remember the time... 
Come in. Good evening, folks. My name's Beulah. Huh? Yes, and I wonder, could you direct me to the residence where Mr. and Mrs. Toops live in? I'm a foreigner in this neighborhood. Oh, well, certainly. Uh, the Toopses live in the third house down on this side of the street. Are you their new cook? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> if they have good references, I'm here. You see the third house down? Yeah, that's it, Beulah. You'll see a sign sticking up out of the snow that says, Keep off the grass. That's the place. Thank you. If you ever have dinner with the Toopses, maybe I can return the favor. How? If I shake my head, don't eat it. <laughs> you haven't worked in this neighborhood before, eh? No, sir, no, sir. I be working cross town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only reason I left is they treated me just like one of the family. Mm-hmm. And I stood there as long as I could. <laughs> well, now, if you go to work at Mr. Toops's, we'll probably be seeing you, Beulah. Yeah, we see quite a bit of them. And their neighbor, Dr. Gamble. Dr. Gamble? Uh-huh. Oh, does he reside in this neighborhood? Mm-hmm. Oh, he's a fine man, Dr. Gamble. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh, he, he operated on my third husband for Gladstone. <laughs> Gladstone's Beulah? Yes, he was a red cap at Union Station and six Gladstone bags fell on his head. A suitcase, if I ever heard one. Excuse me? I said you should have started suit. He had a case. Oh. <laughs> he real amusing, ain't he, man? <laughs> well, there are two schools of thought on that, and I've been expelled from both of them. Well, give our regards to the two, says Beulah. I'm afraid I can't do that, sir. So why not? Well, I don't know who you is, if you is, and I'm sure you must be. Oh, we're Mr. and Mrs. McGee. Oh, pleased to meet you. How do you do? Hello. Hello. Goodbye. 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 Well, I'm afraid she won't like working for Mrs. Toops, do you? No? No, she just keeps them long enough to use up their ration stands. Well, this ain't celebrating the return of our laundry, Molly. Come on, let's go out and swing it. Heavenly days. I haven't been out for so long, I don't know what they're dancing now. Are they still having Charleston contests? Yeah, but now they call it jitterbugging. Though the big rage is the rumba. The rumba? Yeah, that's a variation of an old dance called the happy hound dog. The rumba is? <laughs> what does a hound dog do when he's happy? He wags his... Exactly. That's the... <laughs> Come on, Molly, let's get dressed. All right. Where's my derby hat? I want to brush it off. I've wanted to for years. <laughs> it's in the hall closet. In here? That's not where I want to. <laughs> Gotta straighten out that closet one of these days. <laughs> and his orchestra play My Heart Stood Still.
head there. The club flush. It's quite a spot, they tell me. They got a swell boogie-woogie player there. Oh, boogie-woogie. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Isn't that the kind of piano playing that sounds like rain on the roof with the left hand and somebody playing the flute in the attic with the right hand? <laughs> That's it. If we can get a ringside table in here, we can... Okay, doorman, okay. Open up for a couple of cash customers. Don't be impetuous, mister. There are very few places in this mercenarious world where cash is nil and void, but you have stumbled onto one this night. <laughs> well, uh, what do you mean? Aren't you open for business tonight? Lady, was I to permit you to peer into the interior of this abattoir, you would recoil in horror. It is so crowded that the trombone player is flat on his back, playing vertical. <laughs> well, look, bud, I ain't exactly innocent in this nightclub stuff. There's always room for one more couple if the proper arrangements are made. How's about, how's about a couple of bucks for yourself? I agree that Juice is not innocent, Doc. Juice is guilty of attempted bribery. I am stationed at this door to separate the heps from the ix. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I cannot betray that trust. Not for no two bucks. For ten, I could maybe arrange for you to sit with the band and eat off the drum. Say, listen, we won't pay ten dollars to get into any nightclub. That's outrageous, bud. I don't mind tipping for services rendered, but by George... Hey, look, uh, will five bucks do it? Sorry, comrade. Five bucks would put me too high in the brackets come March 15th. <laughs> come on, McGee, let's just find a restaurant and have dinner and then go dance someplace. Okay, and look, bud, you can afford to be tough with the customers now, but wait till things ain't quite so prosperous. Come those times again, Doc. My salary is raised 50%. Why, nobody needs a bouncer when they don't have any business. Not to bounce people out, lady. Come hard times, I can stand out here and bounce people in. Now move on, friends. Ah, yes, Mr. Chilius. Uh, well, we shouldn't have any trouble getting in here, Molly. The rhinestone horseshoe holds about 300 people. Looks pretty expensive, McGee. What's the cover charge? Only a dollar and a half. I can handle that, maybe. <laughs> hey, isn't that Alice standing by the door? Alice, darling. Why, yes, it is. Hello, Alice. Oh, hello there. Jeepers, are you folks going in this place? Why not, Alice? Have they run out of tuna fish for their chicken a la king? <laughs> We're stepping tonight, Alice. Our laundry came back. Oh, but my dears, this place is so crowded. I don't know why Bobby Sock ever brought me here. Who? Bobby Sock. He's my boyfriend. His real name is Robert Lyle Weaver, but everybody calls him Bobby Sock. Oh, I see. Where is he now, Alice? Buying his hat back from those female bandits in the check room? Oh, no. He's settling our dinner check. Thirty-three dollars and sixty-five cents. He'll be out in a few hours. In a few hours? Can't he write a check faster than that? He isn't writing a check. He's washing dishes. <laughs> That's why I stay away from these clip joints. I always wind up with five o'clock shadow, tattletale gray hair, and dishwater cans. <laughs> Is the music good in there, Alice? Well, it's not bad, Mrs. McGee. It's Gordon Gherkin and his 12 pickles. <laughs> <laughs> they specialize on reviving old dance tunes. Oh, that's for me. I like that. Well, it's a case of have-to with Gordon Gherkin, I guess. Huh? He's had so many musicians go into the army, the only ones he can get are old men who just know numbers like, oh, you beautiful doll and stuff. <laughs> Criminy, those gates really creak. <laughs> well, if this place charges such awful prices for dinner, it's not for us, McGee. We've got better places to put our money, such as it is. Oh, we can afford it, Molly, just this once. Oh, let's not kid ourselves. We can't lick war stamps with our tongues in our cheeks. Good night, Alice. Good night. So long, Al. Now let's see where... Uh-oh. Hey, taxi! Taxi! Where are we going, McGee? I just thought of a swell place. Hey, driver, take us to that Hawaiian place up on 14th Street. The Waikiki Hole. <laughs> yeah, hurry, and don't spare the horses. 
here's your fare and 15 cents for yourself. Don't spend it in riotous living. Well, looks like this place was doing a big business, McGee. That's a very popular spot. Do you like Hawaiian music? Oh, I love it. You know, I'd like to live in the islands and swing and sway the live long day in a skirt of hay, hay, hay. <laughs> I tell you, there's something about Well, hello, folks. Don't tell me you're going night clubbing. Hello, Mr. Wilcox. And what if we are, Junior? We've been downtown before, at night. <laughs> Nobody has to tie us up when a streetcar goes by. <laughs> we wear shoes, too. In fact, I even know how to catch a waiter's attention clear across the room. Well, I've never known how to do that, pal. What's the secret? Well, you walk over to him and stick a fork in his leg. <laughs> hey, you told me on the phone you couldn't come to our party tonight. How come now we find you out nightclubbing now? Well, this place does such a terrific business, I have to come at odd hours to talk to the manager. He's an old customer of mine. Here we go again, folks. Just bear in mind that Wilcox is to Racine, Wisconsin, what McCarthy is to Bergen. <laughs> Except that Bergen is sometimes surprised at what comes out, and Racine never is. <laughs> Excuse the digression, Junior. <laughs> sure. But I was just talking to the manager about his kitchen floor. Say, I wonder what he uses on the linoleum to keep the colors fresh and bright and preserve it against all the wear and tear and protect it against all the stuff that must be spilled on it from day to day. <laughs> Why, he uses Johnson's self-polishing glow coat No My God <laughs> Well, well, well It's a small world, isn't it? <laughs> you know, the kitchen in this place is immaculate Every noon before they open up The kitchen boys pour out some glow coat Spread it around And in 20 minutes or less The kitchen floor is a beautiful sight to behold mm -hmm. Gleaming, sparkling, spotless Restaurant owners like Johnson's Glow Coat because they don't have to waste time rubbing and buffing it to a high polish. Oh. When it dries, it has a high polish. Well, this is the place we've been looking for, Mr. Wilcox. Yeah, we both love that soft, restful Hawaiian music. Hey, you think you'd get us a table in here, Junior? Well, let's open the door and take a look. All right. Yeah! No. I don't think so. Yeah. Well, I see what you mean. Well, come on, Molly. Let's go. Well, this place looks a little quieter, McGee. Know anything about it? No, we'll ask this guy coming out. Hey, bud. You been in the Pelican Club here? Yes, why? Uh, why do they call it the Pelican Club? When you see the size of your bill, you'll know, madam. <laughs> What kind of place is this, bud? Horrible. How's the music? Raucous. The food? Atrocious. How's the service? Arrogant. Crowds. Maddening. Prices? Sheer larceny. Well, if it's that bad, why do you patronize it? I have to. I own it. Good night. <laughs> well, uh, frankly, McGee, I'm getting a little worn out. Can't you think of any place we could go and dance? Look, let's stop at Kramer's Drugstore and get a bowl of soup and a sandwich and then go to a nice dance hall. Like, for instance, the Cassidy Hotwood up on the north side. Oh, that's a swell idea. After all, a nightclub well, doesn't... Well, now, who would I be meeting so far from home than Molly and Fibberland? Zero, <laughs> <laughs> you're a sight for sore eyes, which I happen to have because of a slight argument with the head waiter at the Gay Paris. The Gay Paris? Hey, we were thinking a little earlier about going there for dinner and dancing, Uncle Dennis. What was your argument about? Oh, the dirty, underhanded Mahomedan gave me a piece of steak that was stolen off the tread of a General Sherman tank, and I made a joking reference to the same. 
I says, I don't mind eating the horse, Mansoor, but after this, would you be so good as to remove the harness before not quite cooking it enough? <laughs> and the battle was on. Oh, dear. Was it quite a fracas, Uncle Dennis? Oh, it was a glorious bit of a brawl, Makushla. I led with my right. He countered with a sugar bowl. I crossed with my left. He jabbed with a ketchup bottle. Mm-hmm. I stuck my thumb in his arm. Still fighting fair. <laughs> he kicked me under the chin. I slugged him with a passing busboy. He pours hot coffee down my neck. And then, that's when I lost my temper. <laughs> well, nice control up to there. So what happened? Well, I'm a bit confused from there on, lad. Though I dimly remember shaking hands with the Gazoon and congratulating him on putting up a fine defense. And what did he say? Not a word, him being unconscious at the time, as far as I could see. <laughs> at a table across his face. Oh, you can have a grand time at the gay Paris. Whoa! Tread on the tail of my coat. Whoa, tread on the The Kingsmen sing Deacon Jones. Brothers and sisters and sisterettes, Deacon Jones sends his deepest regrets. So while the deacon's absent from the meeting tonight, there's something about the deacon that I want to set right. What's that, brother? Who is so respected? Deacon Joe. Who is kind and unaffected? Deacon Joe. When a sinner's moaning low, who will share his tale of woe? Hallelujah, hallelujah, Deacon Joe. Now who's so handsome and good-looking? Deacon Joe. And who can smell a rooster cooking? Deacon Joe. Who gets all the chicken breast? Deacon Joe. It's for the rest. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Deacon Joe. Who is loved by all his neighbors and admired? The deacon. Who will help you with your labors when you're tired? The deacon. Who will help you beat the rug? Who will find that cider jug? Hallelujah, hallelujah, Deacon Jones. Who's the first to church on Sunday full of pride? Why, the deacon. Who's the last to work on Monday sleepy-eyed? The deacon. And the balance of the week. Who goes fishing down the creek? Hallelujah, hallelujah, Deacon Jones. Now, brothers and sisters, you all know that everybody has his imperfection. But before we all adjourn and before the deacon return, we will hold the annual election. Hold everything. Oh, the deacon. Who takes charge of all the meetings? Oh, you do, deacon. Who extends the hearty greetings? You always do it, deacon, when the ballots all are in. Who will count the votes and win? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, deacon This whole thing, McGee, Heavenly Days, even the restaurants are jammed. Yeah, I never knew this town had so much nightlife. Maybe we should have made a reservation someplace. I just made a reservation. What? Never to do this again. <laughs> Doggone it, there must be some quiet little place that has a sandwich and a cup of coffee. I'd settle for a cracker and a harmonica at this stage of the game. Oh, hey, there's Doc Gamble. Maybe he knows the place. Hey, Doc, wait a minute. Well, hello there, Mrs. McGee. Hello, Doctor. Hello, McGee. You're looking very ship-shaped. Oh, you think so, Doc? Yes, indeed. Particularly from the stern do you have a ship shape. 
<laughs> oh, yeah. Will anybody ever tell you you look like a sub, normal? <laughs> now, stop it, boy, stop it. Uh, certainly. What are you two doing roaming the streets? Didn't you hear the curfew? We're celebrating, Doc. It's a big occasion for us. Sure, our laundry came back today. Well, congratulations. How did it look? Ah, beautiful, Doc. Simply beautiful. Yes. Drop by tomorrow sometime and see it, Doctor. Yeah, I'd like to very much. I sent out some laundry once. <laughs> but it never... It never... Oh, I'm sorry, Doc. <laughs> Something you you loved very much, was it? Yes. Oh. Four sulka shirts and some no-sag underwear. <laughs> it's, it's very lonely without them. <laughs> Sorry to be so emotional. Oh, that's all right, Doctor. We know how it is. Hey, Doc, we're looking for a good place to eat, and then we want to go someplace and dance. You got any ideas? No, I'm afraid not, McGee. I hate nightclubs myself. Uh-huh. I can get the same effect by kneeling down and banging my head on the sidewalk. <laughs> And besides, I can never get a paper hat that fits me. <laughs> oh, we don't want a nightclub, Doctor. Just a quiet place to eat. We can go dancing afterwards. Yeah. I uh, wish I could go with you. I've always wanted to see McGee dance. I imagine it looks something like a road scraper with a broken governor. Oh. <laughs> now, look here, Doctor. All we did was ask you a civil question about where we can get something to eat. But I'm not hungry anymore. I'm fed up with your wisecracks. Why, you wouldn't know a wisecrack if it was tattooed on your forehead by Joe Miller. <laughs> Without a lampshade on your head, you're the death of the party. Oh, listen to him. I wouldn't know a wisecrack, he says. Why, you malpractice? Say, say, I just thought where you might go. Really? Where, Doc, old man? Tell us. Now, look, if you want good food and good service, yeah. with a minimum of expense, yeah. take the next Oak Street bus and go right on down. Hmm. Isn't this good coffee, McGee? Wonderful. Let's dance one more dance and have another cup. I could use another order of that pastry, too. Well, it turned out to be a nice evening after all, didn't it? Yeah. What time is it? Ha, what do you care what time it is? Come on, let's dance. Or do you want to drink this one out? <laughs> I finished my coffee, thanks. Huh. Let's go. Okay. Good floor, isn't it? Be yourself, dearie. Who was I being? Harlow Wilcox. <laughs> <laughs> Why, darling, you're dancing beautifully. What was that last tricky little step you did? That wasn't a step. I was scratching my left leg with my right foot. (laughs) Ah, you remember how we used to take those moonlight excursions on the Illinois River, McGee? Yeah. The old city of Peoria. I think that was the steamboat that invented Fulton. Yep. <laughs> Used to go clear up to Star Rock, didn't we? Ah, good old Star Rock. Remember Fred Nittany from there? The guy I was in Waterville with? Yes, you told me all about him. Oh, we had a great little act. We had one gag where I'd dance up to Fred and say, Do you file your nails? He'd say, No, I just throw them away. <laughs> and he'd hit me on the head with a folded newspaper. <laughs> Surefire. <laughs> I'll bet it was. Does it bother you if I listen while you talk while we dance? Not a bit. Yes, sir, those were great old days in Baltimore. <laughs> 
I wonder what ever become of all those people. There was one act, Burns and Allen, they called themselves. Say, could that have been Bob Burns and Fred Allen? No, this was a guy and a girl. Oh, she was cute. He was always kind of barking at her. Gracie. Like that. Yeah? Oh, well. They're probably sitting around some broken-down theatrical boarding house. <laughs> Living on their memories. Yeah. <laughs> ah, thank you, Mrs. McGee. Thank you. Shall we go back to our table? Yeah. <laughs> Boy, am I glad Doc suggested this place. So am I. Yeah. And you know what would make the evening perfect? What? Let's pile the dishes in the sink and wash them in the morning. <laughs> That's a deal. It's a deal. You haul them out while I turn off the Victrola. Stop there. I spend a little time in my own kitchen, and that's quite often, I'll admit, I realize how important linoleum floors really are. When they're bright and sparkling, the kitchen is certainly a much pleasanter place to work in. That in itself is a good enough reason for using Johnson's self-polishing glow coat. And yet that's only a very small part of the glow coat story. A more important reason is, of course, the way glow coat protects linoleum surfaces against wear and dirt. How it makes linoleum last six to ten times longer. Another is the way Glow Coat saves you work. Because it's self-polishing, it needs no rubbing or buffing. You simply apply and let dry. Glow Coat does the rest. Even on linoleum that's been down for many years, Glow Coat works wonders. And if you're putting down any new linoleum, then be sure that from the very first day, it's protected regularly with Johnson's self-polishing Glow Coat. Telephone is ringing. Uh, uh, who set the clock for this time of night? That isn't the clock. That's the telephone. Go answer. Uh, oh, oh. Hello. Who? Oh. Oh, fine. Uh, thanks, Junior. Goodbye. Who was that? Wilcox. Said he got a reservation for us at the Shea Wen if we can pick it up in 15 minutes. Isn't that nice? That's ah, wonderful. Good night. Good night, all. The character of Uncle Dennis heard on this program was played by Ransom Sherman. This is Harlow Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax for Home and Industry, inviting you all to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Well, Gracie never dreamed that Paul Henry would see one of the handbills claiming him as a graduate of her school of culture, but he did. 
As a result, arriving at the Burns home with a bewildered look on his face is Paul Henry. Yes? Pardon me, uh, is this the school of culture that claims Paul Henry as a graduate? Oh, yes. Come right in. Thank you. Yes, indeed. We're mighty proud of what we did for Paul. And we can do the same for you. Hmm? Oh, I see. Well, uh, uh, just uh, what did you do for Paul? Well, we made him over, that's all. We like to work with raw material, and Mr. Henry's was about the rawest we ever had. Really? Oh, you should have seen him. Sort of a young Wallace Berry. But you succeeded in making him a gentleman. Well, finally. First, we taught him grace and poise by making him walk around with a book balanced on his head. He was very good at that. I'm pleased to hear it. He uh, he had a natural ability. His head was gorgeously flat. <laughs> well, that's Academy Award winner Paul Henry, who is guest starring on the Burns and Allen show. And he, also, he was in one of the most famous and beloved movies uh, in the United States, and that is Casablanca. In fact, Casablanca is the number one pick of Americans in this country. It is the number one movie of all time, Casablanca. So enjoy this episode of Burns and Allen. I don't know if this is an Academy Award winning performance for Paul Henry. You decide when you listen to this. Burns and Allen from January 25th, 1944. Goodwin speaking for Lever Brothers, makers of Swan, the new white floating soap that's pure as fine Castile. Well, it's Tuesday night again, time for another pleasant visit with George Burns and Gracie Allen, our guest star of the new Warner Brothers picture in our time, Paul Henry, with Jimmy Cash and Felix Mills in his orchestra. And now, meet the people who live in the Burns house, George and Gracie. morning in the Burns home, and Gracie is in the kitchen talking to that eminent actor and pool room bum, Nigel Bolingbroke. They're discussing their school of culture, a venture which operates only when George is safely out of the house. Oh, Mrs. Burns, if only your husband would relent, we could operate our school on a larger scale. It's no use, Mr. Bolingbroke. George just doesn't like you, and he's very stubborn about people. I'll never forget his attitude toward my mother after our wedding. Nasty. Oh, very. We went on a honeymoon trip to Niagara Falls, and every day we were there, I got a letter from George saying, I hope your mother falls in. <laughs> the pity has no tolerance. As treasurer of our culture school, I would like to see a larger enrollment. Oh, uh, by the way, Mr. Bolingbroke, uh, what are you doing with the money? Uh, I'm making a conservative investment in a brewery, dear lady. <laughs> Uh, a glass at a time. Oh, you're such a clever businessman. Thank you. You know, I've got a good business head, too. I thought our school might get more business if we had a catchy slogan. Well, so you wrote one. Uh-huh. How's this? We make gentlemen out of tramps, and culture needs no ration stand. <laughs> it's a lyrical triumph. And here's one that should appeal to women. If your manners are good and your talk is classy, Men might overlook an inferior chassis. 
brilliantly expressed. Yes, and this one might attract soldiers who are home on leave. Don't be unpopular while you're marching. Discuss books and music with your sergeant. <laughs> Enough, you've outdone yourself. Well, I thought you'd like them, and, and I have another idea, too. What if we had testimonials from movie stars? Testimonials? Yes, a statement from Errol Flynn that our course in poise cured his bashfulness. <laughs> He's never been our pupil. I know, but it would attract attention. <laughs> Nevertheless, it can't be done. Well, now, that's just where you're wrong. I've already had a testimonial printed and scattered all over town. It says, if it weren't for your school, I'd still be driving a truck. Signed, Paul Henry. <laughs> well, my dear girl, he'll be furious with you. Why should he be? We're perfect strangers. Well, you, you don't understand. Well, I've never seen Mr. Henry, even in a picture. But all my girlfriends are mad about him. I, I don't dare mention his name while they're reading. They all get hiccups. <laughs> but, Mrs. Burns, let me explain. So, using Mr. Henry's name must boost our school. Now, um, what did you want to explain? Uh, that I am only the treasurer. You head the organization. Oh, that's right. Now, in the future, if students leave any of that lovely green government-issued paper here, that's for me. And if a lawyer leaves the white paper here... That's for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, Gracie, where are you? Oh, there's George. Run, Mr. Bolingbroke. In the kitchen, sweetheart. Goodbye, and remember, secrecy about our school. Uh... Was that just one out the back door, darling? Uh, the what, dear? The back door. The back door? Yes, who went out? Who went out? Yes, the back door. The back door. <laughs> who went out? Well, make up your mind, dear. Which do you want to talk about? Look, I heard the back door slam. Now, who went out? Oh, you mean what person just went out the back door? Yes. Well, I'm glad we finally got that straightened out. Now, run along to the office, dear. Gracie, I'm not leaving till you tell me who was here. Oh, all right. I wanted to surprise you, but if you must know, I'll tell you. Good. Who was it? The census taker. The census taker? Yeah, but I told him we didn't have any, so he left. <laughs> Gracie, the man ran out when he heard me coming, and the census taker won't be here until 1950. Now, you see how bad you scared him? <laughs> Gracie, let's have a little talk. For about a week now, something has been going on behind my back, and it gives me a funny feeling. Well, then take off the woolen ones and put on cotton ones. <laughs> Gracie, I'm serious. You've been acting strangely. Like, you're kind of glad to see me leave for the office and sorry to see me get home. Don't you love me anymore? Oh, sweetheart, of course I love you. You're the only man in the whole world for me. You wouldn't, you wouldn't pull my leg, would you? Anything to make you happy. Lift it up. <laughs> no, I mean, don't, don't lie to me to save my feelings. If, if you're tired of me, if there's someone new, I'd, I'd like to know. Oh, don't be silly, George. You know how I feel about anything new. The older things get, the more precious they get. And you're awfully precious. Thanks. And I miss you terribly when you're away. So hurry to the office now so I can start missing you. Well, okay. 
Goodbye. Goodbye. Well, hiya, George. Oh, hello, Bill. Gee, why all the gloom? Bill, I'm worried about Gracie. She's been acting very strangely. Really? Yeah. Bill, you you don't suppose... I mean, surely Gracie hasn't fallen for another... Oh, no. Oh, I don't even think that, George. After all, Gracie's got the best. Why should she want another? Gee, thanks. Why, she could look this whole wide world over and she'd never find another soap like Swan. <laughs> but, Bill... No, no, George. Gracie's true to Swan, the new white floating soap, because Swan has four soaps in one. The soap for your hands and face, for bathing the baby, for washing the dishes and doing your light laundry. Four swell soaps in one, a great wartime buy. Bill, I'm not worried about Gracie falling for another soap. I don't want her to fall for another man. Oh, gee, what? Gracie means everything to me. If I lost her, I wouldn't be able to eat or sleep. Yeah, especially eat. <laughs> Bill, this is serious. I may be losing my wife. Ah, oh, don't be silly, George. Gracie's crazy about you. Are you sure, Bill? Oh, sure. She worships the very ground you walk on. Why, she told me once that it filled her with ecstasy just to have you kiss her hand. She... She said your lips felt as thrilling as a pan of swan sud. Oh. <laughs> yes, she did. That's a pretty big thrill. Oh, sure, sure. Swan's great for washing the dishes. It's a quick suds and wonder that gives you loads of long-lasting, hard-working suds. And boy, are those baby gentle swan suds kind to your hands. Look, Bill, forget the soap for a minute. I need your help. Now, I'm sure there's nothing wrong, but just to satisfy my curiosity... Would you kind of keep an eye on the house while I'm at the office? Ah, George, there's no man but you. Where could Gracie find another man as fine, as strong, as handsome, as... On second thought, George, I'd better watch the house. <laughs> Goodbye, Bill. Well, Gracie never dreamed that Paul Henry would see one of the handbills claiming him as a graduate of her school of culture. But he did. As a result, arriving at the Burns home with a bewildered look on his face is Paul Henry. Yes? Pardon me, uh, is this the school of culture that claims Paul Henry as a graduate? Oh, yes. Come right in. Thank you. Yes, indeed. We're mighty proud of what we did for Paul. And we can do the same for you. Hmm? Oh, I see. Well, uh, uh, just uh, what did you do for Paul? Only made him over, that's all. We like to work with raw material, and Mr. Henry was about the rawest we ever had. Really? Oh, you should have seen him. Sort of a young Wallace theory. But you succeeded in making him a gentleman. Well, finally. First, we taught him grace and poise by making him walk around with a book balanced on his head. He was very good at that. I'm pleased to hear it. He he had a natural ability. His head was gorgeously flat. A rare gift. Yes, and then we taught him how to make love. Surely that was one thing you didn't have to teach him. <laughs> oh, I can see that you don't know Mr. Henry. Oh, of course, he knew a few things, such as how to hold hands and wink. Scarcely enough for a well-rounded life. <laughs> I should say not. <laughs> so we gave him our course in cultured whistling. Cultured whistling? Well, yes. We taught him how to whistle things like Bach and Beethoven. 
That way he can pick up a much nicer class of girls. Did this complete his call? Oh, no. And then we thought up tricks for him to do in the movies, like the one in that picture with Betty Davis, where he lit two cigarettes at once. That was your idea? But of course. When he came to me, he was so clumsy that he burned himself lighting just one cigarette. Incredible. Well, now, if he had taken our advanced course, by now he could have uh, put the whole pack in his mouth. Which would have easily won the Academy Award. Well, sure. And now I've got a thrill for you. I can make you into another Paul Henry. No. Yes. Of course, first you'll have to get rid of that funny accent. Naturally. Well, where are you from, Alabama? <laughs> no, Missouri. Oh, oh. Well, what do you say? Would you like to sign up? Madam, uh, my name is Paul Henry. Oh, well, then we'll have to change it. What is enough? <laughs> you don't understand. I've let you on just to see how far you would go. I am the only Paul Henry. You? Yes. You're... You sure? I have the word of my mother and father. Can you trust them? Implicitly. You have used my name falsely in connection with your school, madam. Well, oh. I'm very sorry, but I will have to have to have my lawyers call on you. Oh, please. Please, no tears. This is the end of my career. I only wanted to spread culture and be a woman that everybody admired. I wanted to do for humanity what Florence did for the Nightingale. My dear child. Now my husband will make me close the school. Your husband doesn't approve? No, he hates culture. He's just a big, sweet, uncouth baby. I'm sorry, madam. Now, please, no more tears. I can't stand to see a woman cry. You, you can? No. <laughs> oh, please. If, if I stop crying, will you, will you let me use your name? Anything, anything. Oh, thank you. You're wonderful. And will you talk my husband into letting me run the school all the time? Oh, no, no, I, I couldn't do that. <laughs> all right, all right. I'll talk to your husband. I'll explain how much this culture school means to you. Oh, you're an angel, Mr. Henry. And I'm sorry I said your head was flat. <laughs> That's all right. You know, it really comes to a lovely point. <laughs> Tonight, our popular young tenor, Jimmy Cash, sings, I've Had That Feeling Before. Mr. C. Oh, I've had this feeling before, but never like this. Love had me reeling before, but never like this. To someone supposed to be smart I'm a 
I know you don't like to be disturbed at your office, but this couldn't wait. What is it, Bill? Well, you told me to stay outside your house and see if Gracie had any callers. Yeah. Did she? Yeah. Who was the rat? <laughs> Paul Henry. Henry, the actor? Yeah, that's right. Brace up, old man. <laughs> it's worse than I thought. Not only a rat, but a continental rat in a pinstripe suit. <laughs> Brace up, old man. A hand kisser. A bender at the waist. Brace up, old man. Well, I'm braced and I'm not an old man. Okay, you're braced, you're braced. I hardly know what to think. Bill, what would you do if you were me? And your wife fell for Paul Henry. Well, I... I'd get a gun. Yeah? And and I'd load it. Yeah? And I'd shoot myself. <laughs> You're a big help. Come in. Pardon me. Uh, my name is Henry, and I'm looking for George Burns. Huh? Well, here I am. Hey, sh- should I stay, George? No, Bill. You wait outside. I'll handle this. Well, okay. But if he starts anything, just scream. <laughs> well, Mr. Henry? Uh, Mr. Burns, let me begin by telling you that I'm acquainted with your wife. A most charming and lovable person. I, uh, I know that. Uh, I'm, I'm her husband. Uh, Mr. Burns, I'll be frank. Your wife has turned to me to help her get released from a very ordinary and humdrum existence. Well, that's nice. I appreciate the fact that this is a rather unconventional situation, but we can hardly blame her for wanting a little culture. Can we? Gee, I, I thought I, I thought I made her happy. Oh, come now, Mr. Burns. Supplying three meals a day and the roof over her head, plus an occasional kiss on the cheek. Oh, surely you must realize that any woman wants more than that from life. Uh, are you sure Gracie feels this way? Positive. She begged me to come and talk to you. And when I refused, well, she burst into tears. Holy smoke, am I, am I that bad? Yes. You are keeping her dreams from coming true. Well, I'd kind of like to think it over. All right. There is no hurry. I'll come to your home later today for your decision. Bonjour, Monsieur Burns. Bonjour. (laughs) 
banjo jewelry, says. Walks off with my wife and gives me a big banjo. Well, maybe that's the stuff that gets them. Hey, how'd you make out, George? What happened? Plenty. That hunk of profile has hypnotized Gracie with his banjoes. <laughs> but I'm not giving up. I'll fix him. Yeah? You got a system? Yeah. I'll beat him at his own game. Win Gracie back by being more continental than he is. I'll bring her candy, flowers, champagne. I'll kiss her hand. I'll bounce from the waist. Well, in other words, this is going to be a charm contest between you and Paul Henry? Yes, and may the best man win. George, don't give up so easy. <laughs> on you, my lovely princess. George, are you sure you're all right? Ah. Ah, my Cherie. I'm bewitched by your beauty. I'm intoxicated. I thought so. I didn't... (laughs) No, my queen. I'm always this way when you're near me. May I kiss your hand? Well, yes, if you want to. (laughs) And now, may I kiss your other hand? Well, yes, I love it. Now, now, let me kiss your hand. I'm mad about you. Tell me, my pet. Do you like me more than Paul Henry? Of course. Paul Henry couldn't like you more than I do. No, sweetheart. I mean, could he be a better husband than I am? Oh, don't be silly. Oh, come in, Mr. Henry. Thank you. Well, can't forget the decision, eh, Henry? Well, I've got bad news for you. My wife loves me. She's crazy about me. She thinks I'm the most charming man in the whole world. But I... You find that kind of hard to believe, don't you? A little. (laughs) You're a good loser, Henry. Goodbye and no hard feelings. But what about the culture school? The culture? What? What culture school? Oh, George, didn't Mr. Henry tell you... Our home has been a center of culture. While you were at home, of course. Huh? That's what I asked you in your office. Your wife might run her culture school. You mean that's all there ever was between you two? A culture school? Of course. Oh, George Burns, you didn't think I had fallen for Mr. Henry. Well, I... Oh, you silly boy. Mr. Henry may be a great actor and talented and charming and handsome. But I like your type better. Thanks. Gee, I'm glad that's cleared up. Me too. Well, I'll go out and make some tea so we can drink to the success of our culture school. <laughs> Gee, Mr. Henry, I guess I owe you an apology. Ha-ha! I knew I'd find you here, Henry, you homewrecker. <laughs> My dear fellow. Don't you, dear fellow, me going around stealing another man's wife? Bill, Bill. You needn't be afraid, George. I'm here. Bill. How anybody could have the nerve to take advantage of a poor, feeble, little old man. Uh, uh, I, I know how you guys operate, Henry. First it's candy and flowers, then jewelry, then a yacht. And then if she still says no, you offer her what no woman can resist. A bar of swan soap. 
I beg your pardon? You know that women love swan because it's the white floating soap that's four soaps in one, great for their hands and face, they're for bathing the baby, and wonderful for dishes and light laundry. You know what happens when you tell them swan is four swell soaps in one? This man is mad. Oh, don't play innocent. You know how you lay that accent on as you close in for the kill and say, Mon ami, the doctors recommend swan for bathing the baby. <laughs> sure, because you know that it's pure as fine cast seals and mild as may. And you know if swan is kind to a baby's tender skin, you couldn't ask for a better soap for your hands and face, your complexion. Well, I suggest we discuss this some other time. Not so fast, Henry. You've insulted my friend, George Burns. Hill. Just because he's a poor, broken-down, dried-up little weasel of a man. Nobody can insult my friend. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> I'll defend your honor, George. Mr. Henry, I challenge you to a duel. <laughs> I suppose that's the only way to get rid of you. <laughs> Very well. Name your weapons. Pistols? Swords? One soap for 20 paces. <laughs> what? We'll, we'll stand back to back at dawn, and we'll break a bar of swan in two. You walk 20 paces into the bathroom and use your half for your hands and face cover shower. And I'll walk 20 paces into the kitchen and use my half for my dishes and light laundry. Bill, Bill, Paul Henry is not trying to take Gracie away from me. He's not? No. I merely wanted to help Mrs. Burns in her school for culture. Oh. Oh. Well, I guess the joke's on me, huh? Gosh, Mr. Henry, you must think I'm a loud, stupid fool. Oh, you weren't so loud. <laughs> Why can't I keep my big mouth shut? So long, folks. Amazing, chap. Your wife's culture school seems to get me involved in all sorts of misunderstandings. Eh, you haven't heard anything yet. Now that uh, now that you've endorsed the school, Gracie will run your ragged. You'll be a wreck. Well, in that case, I must find a way out. Movie actors are not popular when they resemble a wreck. They are different from crooners. <laughs> but uh, how how will you do this? I have it. I'll disillusion your wife. Convince her that I have no culture. She will not want me in her school if I speak like a... a, a bozo? Oh, I say <laughs> A mug, eh? Mm. Say, it might work. And for a contrast, I'll throw in with a few banjours. <laughs> Here, Betty. Here's a napkin, Mr. Henry. Oh, thank you. Very. Okie dokie, Scott. <laughs> oh, oh, do you always tuck it under your chin? That's where it belongs to. <laughs> oh, how continental. George, you watch him so you'll know what chin to tuck yours under. Uh, banjoa. Um, what are you taking your tea, Mr. Henry? Lemon or cream? Oh, nuts with that stuff. <laughs> oh, oh, that must be another continental habit. Uh, George, run out of the kitchen and get some nuts. <laughs> no, no. I got all the stuff straight. You, you guzzle it? Yeah. Just dump it in the saucer. Mr. Henry, do I only imagine it or... Has something happened to your culture? Nothing ain't happened to it. I just ain't got none. Oh, you ain't? No. I only give out of that baloney when I'm acting in pictures. 
Hey everyone, this is OTR Rob, welcoming you to another edition of the Red Skelton Show. However, this Red Skelton Show was mismarked. The date on the episode is January 21st, 1949, but it's actually from 1939. This is from Red Skelton's first show ever over the NBC network. And you get to hear Edna Stilwell, Red Skelton's first real-life wife, who is the head writer of this first Red Skelton show. And it was recorded at WLW, the nation station. WLW had over 50,000 watts of power, and it could reach in the evenings both the West Coast and the East Coast simultaneously at the same time. And it had the largest, highest tower in the world. As a matter of fact, during World War II, the U.S. government took it over to communicate information to Britain. We're going to listen to this episode of the Red Skelton Show so you can listen to how the early years of Red Skelton was and how this show 
was an entertaining show, but you can see the possibilities of what Red Skelton was shooting for, but never quite obtained. And you get to hear Marlon Hurt playing Gypsy Rose Levy, a character that was a regular on this Red Skelton show from 1939, and another breakout character, which I like a great deal, and his name is Hercules, and he plays an overtly gay character, although it's never really alluded to that he is gay, but um, just by the character's voice and intonations, you can tell that it's a gay character. And, of course, this was all done back when it was standard for radio at the time. So I apologize to all those listening. But enjoy this Red Skelton show for what it is from January 21st, 1939. A pack of Avalon cigarettes, please. Yes, sir. Just a moment, sir. Don't forget your change. You'd never guess, but Avalon's cost you less. So why not always travel on with Avalon? Good evening, friends. Good evening. This is Del King saying welcome to Avalon Time with Kurt Massey, Edna Stilwell, Jeanette, the Avalon Chorus, Bob Strong and his orchestra, and radio's red-headed ragamuffin, Richard Red Skelton. cigarettes are sensationally gaining in popularity everywhere? Do you know why millions of hard-to-please but thrifty smokers from coast to coast are switching to Avalon? Well, I'll tell you why. They give you both outstanding quality and exceptional money-saving economy. Yes, Avalon's cost three to five cents less per pack than other popular price brands. And don't think lightly of that saving either. Three to five cents saved on every pack of cigarettes you smoke turns into real money in mighty short order. Now about Avalon's quality. Truly, you'd never guess they cost you less. They're union-made from extra-choice Turkish and domestic tobaccos, perfectly blended to give you a smoke that positively cannot be surpassed. Remember this, friends. You can pay more, but you can't get finer quality cigarettes than Avalon. Certainly, you'll want to give them a trial. Why not get a pack tonight? And now, for the first inning of our screwball game, we bring you that press box fantasy headline hokum. Featuring that rangy, rugged, rakish, racing, roving, ranting, raving reporter, Red Skelton. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. And now for the news. Say, hasn't the news in the paper been terrible lately? No kidding. The things that happens to Buck Rogers are awful. 
Well, now for the news. News from coast to coast. Heat wave sweeps the country. Boy, it really has been hot lately. No kidding. Day before yesterday, it was so hot. I saw a dog chasing a cat, and it was so hot, they were both walking. <laughs> I found a way to keep cool at night, though, but it was awful crowded. Pork chops and a pound of butter. Big explosion in California market. Honey <laughs> fruit's too big. <laughs> you think I'm getting... Oh, they grow marvelous things out there. And it's remarkable with rains. The sun shines all the time. Yeah. In fact, there's so much sunshine in California, they have to build big dams to hold it back. <laughs> I'm going out there someday and buy me a little ranch. You know, all the actors have ranches out there. They raise their fruits and vegetables. Sally Rand has a ranch where she raises eyebrows. <laughs> Crabapple, Nebraska. Undertaker's whole convention here. <laughs> what a sight. They got off the train and the band hit up their theme song. Well, all right. Dig, dig, dig. Well, all right. <laughs> they made a few comments on how dead business was. <laughs> and they were last seen drinking planter's punch. <laughs> Fashion news for the women. This winter, women are going to wear more furs. I bought my girl a fur coat. I don't know what kind of fur it is. But she had to build a fence in the closet to hang it up. <laughs> It's a little embarrassing when I'm with her. Everybody comes up and asks you, what kind of an animal did that fur come from? <laughs> then they look right at me. <laughs> Atlantic City, New Jersey. Tonight, 46 girls from every state in the Union will seek the title of Miss America. <laughs> you notice I said 46 states. Maine and Vermont have their own Miss America. <laughs> My girl was in the uh, beauty contest in Atlantic City last year. Oh, she's a beautiful thing. A little pigeon toad, though. <laughs> In fact, she's so pigeon-toed, her feet carry messages. <laughs> it's hard to believe items. Please find a girl walking along Highway 41. She said she'd walk 14 miles. <laughs> For goodness sake. <laughs> well, that does about take care of the news for tonight. So, Jeanette will sing Running Through My Mind. Sing it, pretty Jeanette, but pretty. <laughs> Running through my mind, how can I be blue, dear? I always have you, dear. Running through my mind, running through my dreams, with moonlight behind you, I wake up and find you. Running through my dreams Two lips I like to kiss Two eyes so blue I always in my mind I'm haunted by you You will always be A dream to inspire Desire running through my Bye. My 
now we come to our slice of life, ladies and gentlemen, a short playlet on things that happen in everyday life, things that you do and that I do, in fact, all of us do. Well, what's this one about tonight, Red? Well, it's about a young married couple, and the husband likes to sleep late. <laughs> and as a result, the wife develops into a very fine nagger. <laughs> you set the scene, Bill. Okay, Red. The place somewhere in your hometown. The time, 7-5 in the morning, just when sleeping is good. Now, as the scene opens, we find the young wife, played by Edna Stilwell, trying to get Red Skelton, the young husband, to wake up and go to work. Skelton is dead to the world. P.S. That last line was written by the sponsor. <laughs> Listen. Say, aren't you up yet? What do I have to do to get you out of here? I've given you three hot foots already. Oh, so that's what happened to my toes. Now, come on and get up. It's after seven. Mm. Hurry, or you'll miss your butt. Oh, I won't miss my butt. Gee, I hope Dagwood saves me a seat. Mm. I can't figure you out. Boy, you make me go to bed when I'm not tired, and you make me get up when I'm sleepy. Someday I'm going to make a million dollars, and I'll buy a thousand beds and sleep in every one of them. Who do you think you are, George Washington? Yeah. <laughs> you probably inherit your laziness from your father. Oh, I don't think so. He's still got his. Hurry now while I finish breakfast. <clears throat> Come on, get a move on you. All right, don't yell at me, Elsie. I think I'll do my stepping up exercises. <clears throat> one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. <sighs> That's that. Now I guess I'll get out of bed. <laughs> What time is it? It's about 7.15. Oh, I got plenty. Why, 7.15? Why don't you wake me up sooner? Where's my clothes? Right where you left them. Open your eyes. Huh? Open your eyes. You mean (laughs) single-handed? I'll take a shower and I'll be right out for breakfast. All right. But don't go back to bed. I won't. And listen, you're going to have to get more sleep. Just look at the bags under your eyes. Those aren't bags. I'm wearing my cheeks up this season. (laughs) Hey, where's the soap? We haven't any soap. Why? I haven't entered any contest lately. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll take a shower without it anyhow. Gee, I love my cold shower some morning. I'll just turn it on full. There, I feel like a new man. <laughs> hey, where's the towel? They didn't come back from the laundry. Yeah. Use the bath mat. All right. Oh, gee, it's... That's awful rough. What do you got welcome printed on it for? Hey, gee, I guess I'll shave now. Hey, where's my razor? I'm using it to open a can of fruit salad. Okay. <laughs> you wouldn't dare. <laughs> using my razor to open a can a fine thing. Would you get sore if I shaved with your can opener? No, but you would. <laughs> but come on, you haven't time to shave. Your bus leaves in ten minutes. Hey, have I got any clean socks? Yes, they're on the way over from the laundry. What are they doing, hitchhiking? <laughs> what am I going to wear? Well, why don't you take the scissors and cut off a pair of my old stockings? No, oh, wear the same ones I took off. Gee, hope I can find which end to put my feet through. I guess it don't make much difference. Now for my shoes. Oh, nuts. Now what's the matter? I broke my shoelace. I guess I'll have to wear my button shoes after all. <laughs> hey, where's my blue serge suit? I took it back for a retread. Yeah. <laughs> oh, where am I greenman? Uh, see, everything happens when you're in a hurry. Now the button's off my vest. Will you sew one on? Sew it on yourself. I ain't no tailor. Well, you ain't no gable either. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, boy, that 
the fastest I've dressed since the man from the finance company was here. <laughs> hey, where's breakfast? Haven't you got it scraped yet? What's the matter? You look so tired. Yeah, I am a little tired. I counted sheep all night. Counting sheep, eh? Yeah. How many times have I told you not to bring your pets to bed with you? <laughs> Come on, eat your breakfast. Do you want sugar in your coffee? No, I'll just... Where did you get that coffee? I like weak coffee, but that stuff's helpless. Well, I can't understand it. It's drip coffee. Yeah, well, next time, put in two drips instead of one. Don't eat so fast. You're going to get indigestion. Oh, don't heckle me. Pass the cereal. By the way, how much of this stuff have I got to eat before I'm an all-American boy? Indian chief says about Avalon cigarettes? Well, he says, Oh, me big chief Mickey Ha Ha. <laughs> Pale face think of Indian smoke peace pipe. Smoke peace pipe? Oh, smoke Avalon cigarette. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, ladies and gentlemen, the big chief is smart to switch to Avalon cigarettes. And believe me, it's a smart move on any smoker's part because Avalons give you very definite advantages. They're quality cigarettes that sell for three to five cents less per pack than other popular priced brands. And bear this in mind, friends. It's not just the saving on one pack, 
but the repeated saving on every pack of cigarettes you smoke that turns into many, many dollars, extra dollars, too. But without knowing, you'd never guess Avalon's cost you less. They're quality through and through, union made from the very finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos that money can buy. What more could you ask? Highest quality, outstanding money-saving economy. Avalon certainly deserve a trial. Why not get a pack tonight? Tonight, Kurt Massey and the Avalon Chorus chosen a tune which many of you have requested they sing. Red Sails in the Sunset. Red Sails in the Sunset Way out on the sea Oh, carry my loved one Home safely to me Was down where fisher folk gather I wonder far from the throne I heard a fisher girl singing and this refrain was her song Red sails in the sunset way out on the sea Darling, all day I've been blue. I'm trusting in you. With wings you must borrow. Make straight for the shore. of our Mexican standoff, the send-out skeleton service. Now, if you're having trouble with your job, just send for skeleton, and soon your troubles will be all over, all over the map. We now take you to his office where Edna Stilwell takes the phone calls, and skeleton's clients just take it. Hello, this is the send-out skeleton service. If you're in the soup, we'll send the droop. Real estate? Oh, yes, Mr. Skelton knows lots about lots. Okay, when he comes in, he'll be out. Now, where is that guy, anyway? Oh, wise guy, huh? For two cents, I'd pop you right in the nose. No, I ain't got change for a nickel. Oh, crawl back up the range, spout you drip. Come in here and stop arguing with that midget. <laughs> well, tell him to stop picking on me. 
Eastbrook. Get busy. You're a real estate man. Mr. Leach just called, and he wants you to take a lady out to see a house. Yeah. And hurry. He's going to his grandmother's funeral, and it's almost time for the game to start. Yeah. <laughs> okay, where do I go? The house is at 246 Rosemary Lane. Okay, 246 Rosemary Lane. 246 Oh, yeah. 468. This must be the place right here. This dump? Sure, it's a new house. It looks better after they chop those weeds down. Hmm. I think it would look better if you chopped down the house and left the weeds. <laughs> oh, but you'll love it here. It's a nice, refined neighborhood. Yes. I think I smell a glue refinery. <laughs> and look at that broken fence. Yeah, you know what I heard? The guy that owns the place is so stingy, he tried to get a union to picket his fence. <laughs> but take a look at this uh, door knocker. Genuine brass knuckles on it. Here, I got a key. We'll open it up and go in. See, that's funny. This key don't fit. Oh, well, they probably give me the wrong key. Maybe I can open this window over here. <laughs> oh, it sort of broke a little, didn't it? Well, now it's open. I'll just climb in. Say, that's more serious than I thought. The glass broke on both sides. <laughs> it's a furnished house. Hey, this shouldn't be hard to rent. Well, I'll open the door and let it in. Okay, lady, step right into your new future home. Now, here's the lease. Do you prefer to sign on the line with a small or large dock? I want to see it first. And what's the thing? $75 a month. Hmm. This living room is too small. $70 a month. And there's no fireplace. $65 a month. And I don't want a furnished house. Keep on. 60 now. Oh, the dining room looks nice. Back up to 65. <laughs> However, I want a door to that side instead of the end, and I'd like cross ventilation. Oh, we can fix that. I'll call up a carpenter. Hello, operator. Get me Divine 022. Yeah, 022 Divine. <laughs> Hello, send out a carpenter to 468 Rosemary Lane. Yes, the joint just around the curb on Ann Sheridan Road. <laughs> Okay. And I don't like these pictures and the lampshades. Oh, and the drapes and the slip covers are atrocious. They are? I thought they were cretonned. <laughs> now we'll just rip them off and get some new ones. Hello, operator. Give me an interior decorator. No, not a liquor store. <laughs> an interior decorator. You know, those people that tear your house apart and then charge you $200 for putting it back the same way it was. You know, one of those artistic termites. Yeah. Hello, interior decorator. Can you send a decorator over to 468 Rosemary Lane? Okay. Oh, boy, now. Oh, things are beginning to hum. That must be the carpenter. Come in. Well, are you the carpenter? Well, I ain't the body beautiful builder. <laughs> Thank you, Lee. The man with a hammer and nails. Oh, goodness, yes, Mr. Skelton. And if you want to hang any pictures, I have some very special hangnails. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what I want you to do, Herky, is to cut some doors and windows in these walls. Oh, heavens, that ought to be easy. Why, look, this wall is so thin you can see right through it. You're looking out a window. Oh. Now, look, we want a window over here so we can have some cross ventilation. Well, don't worry. I'll make the ventilation so cross, it'll be downright cranky. <laughs> now, you two just scoot on out of here and just let me at it. Oh, I'm just dying to hack this place to smithereen. <laughs> Okay, all I'm asking is, Woodman, spare that whole tree. <laughs> Come on, lady, I want to show you the kitchen. Oh, it's beautiful right. out here. Now, here we are. Oh, uh, 
Well, what a queer kitchen. Yeah. Well, look at that sink. It's right down on the floor. Well, that's where you can lay down and wash the dishes. <laughs> but I don't like it. It's too hard to do dishes with a sink so low. Yeah. Why, it would break my poor husband's bag. <laughs> the rent is now $50 a month. Now, I'd like to show you the laundry chute. You'll like this. See, you just open this little door here, and it shoots. That gives you those little holes in your laundry. It saves you the trouble of sending them out, you know. Everybody outside that door. It must be the decorator. Come in. Hello, sweet Lynette. Well, Gypsy Rose Levy. Please. In the business of Ontario decorating, I'm known as Mrs. Franklin B. Rosenblum. <laughs> Oh, I'm glad to see you. The feeling is perineutral. <laughs> my, my, such a joint, such a dumpling. Say, <laughs> do you think you could fix this place up, Gypsy? Let me see. Something smart shouldn't be too hard. <laughs> already I'm seeing the handwriting on the wallpaper. <laughs> In my mind, I'm already forming a picture by appointment. <laughs> Say, can you fix something up original? For you, maybe something aboriginal. <laughs> On the floor should be a genuine flying carpet. What do you mean a flying carpet? Because when you see the price, you'll hit the ceiling. <laughs> also, everything should be done over in silk. In silk? Okay. Can you do it this afternoon? What am I looking like, a silk boy? <laughs> but I'm trying. First, I'm tearing down the curtain. And the slip cover. I'm a pterodonor, a building hopper. I'm a herring pterodonor. <laughs> Oh, lady, come on, lady. I want to show you a wonderful shower bath they have here. Needle showers with tattoo needles. Tattoo needles? Yeah, every time you take a shower, it tattoos the date on your back. <laughs> well, here's the shower. Now, in this shower bath, you'll find is... <coughs> is occupied. <laughs> I wonder how that happened. What's going on here? Who are you? What are you doing in my house? Hey, now, wait a minute. One question at a time, Professor Wiggins. I'm renting this house for you. I don't want it rented. I just built it. It's my home. Oh, wait a minute. You called up and said you wanted the place. But I got the address right here somewhere in my pocket. Let's, there it is, right here. Let's see. 246 Rosemary... This is 468. Yep. Yeah. Uh-oh, I'm in the wrong place. Come on, lady. Come on, Herky Gypsy. Let's get going. We're in the wrong house. Look what you've done to my house. It's wrecked. I've invited my friends out here to see it. They know I built it. What will they say? They'll take one look at it and say, this is the house that Jerk built. <laughs>
Bell, it looks like the sand in the hourglass is all set to run out. That's right, Red. Say, uh, you know, you were right before about the high cost of living. Yeah? And my butcher told me that pigs were so scarce they raised the price of hams. Yeah? Now, that reminds me. Why don't you ask for a raise? I sure would. <laughs> oh, what's the use? Good night, everybody. I'll see you all next week. Remember, friends, during the week when you ask for Avalon cigarettes... Don't forget your change. So why not always travel on with Avalon? Yes, you'd never guess, but Avalon's cost only 10 cents plus city or state tax. with us next Saturday evening at the same time when the Brown and Williamson Tobacco Corporation will again present Avalon Time. Del King speaking. Good night.